Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin. And before I bring on today's guest and finish our four-part marathon on Ride the Lightning that we actually recorded all in one night, uh, I have just a, a couple of things. I actually realized that I haven't updated anybody on what I'm up to in quite some time. So I thought I would just take a quick moment and do that. Uh, I am working very diligently on getting my book trilogy out this fall. We are uh, just about done book-wise. My proofreader is finishing book three as this one comes out. I am working on the notes for book two. Can't really do anything with any of them until we're through all three of them because something that needs to change in book three might affect something in book one or two. So everything's kind of on hold till that point. Once that's done and I have the exact number of pages, I can hand everything over to my graphic artist uh, and they will work on the, uh, the, the covers. Uh, there's there's the Kindle cover and then the physical print cover because I do want to do a physical print run for this book. And um, yeah, so once that's done, then I can submit it to Amazon and have that happen. And then hopefully from there, get the audiobook version going, which I'm also very excited about. That will be out later. I'm not sure exactly when, because again, that is going to take some time to create and edit and all that good stuff. So uh, yeah, that's happening. And then while I have some downtime for that, I'm actually starting work on the next album, which is due out in January. I have narrowed down a couple of titles, but this is the, uh, you know, being the early year album. This is my remake album of older songs that I've done, revamped for modern times. And then in the summer is when I do the new album. Uh, as I did for Songs from the Circuit Board this year. So uh, that's pretty much what's going on with me. If you guys want to check out videos and stuff that I've done, other albums and books that I have out, like my What Happened in Vegas series or my book on becoming a film composer. Uh, it's called Becoming an Indie Film Composer. Uh, any of that, go to my website at www.scotthaskin.com. That link is also in the show notes. But another thing that you should check out, quite honestly, is Metallicast. Brandon is such a great host on that show, and I have enjoyed every episode I've listened to. I'm still catching up with the back catalog, but every one of them has been a joy. I've been a guest on his show. He's been a guest on my Uriah Heat podcast, as well as the, the champion on this one doing a four-part series that we recorded all in one night just on the album Ride the Lightning, which is one of my, uh, not just one of my favorite Metallica albums, I would say one of my all-time favorite albums, probably one of the ones that I've listened to, you know, uh, among the most, I would say, as, as far as number of plays, uh, certainly Call of Cthulhu or Cthulhu, depending on how you pronounce it. And we get into that in the show. But today we're finishing up our review, talking about the last couple songs on the album, some interesting things I had no idea about that uh, Brandon taught me in this episode. And I'm very excited to share those with you guys. But go to your podcast player, check out Metallicast. He's also uh, broadcasting this episode feed as well as all, all four that we've done in this series on his show. Uh, and he's just got a ton of great episodes to listen to. Once again, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had such a great time talking to you. Can't wait until our next marathon. Enjoy the episode, guys. Cheers. <laughs> The album ends with so much meat on the bones and then ends with so much meat on the bones. Mm -hmm. I, it, you know, these two songs are the middle point. This is where it dips the most. I don't think anybody yeah. can argue with that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. 
Uh, our next song, though, Creeping Death, uh, is another one that is just a blast to perform. I, I'm i not yeah. a big watching or li- like I don't listen to a lot of live albums. I'll watch live videos because I can feel the energy of it a little bit more. Uh, when I just listen to live music, I'm disconnected from it. The tempos don't necessarily make sense. But when you're watching it and you feel that energy, you understand why they're playing it at the tempo that they are. I love watching them play Creeping Death because they put so much into this. Lars, especially, I mean, he'll just stand up. He'll walk around his drums and keep playing them. I mean, it's, he's just, he's kind of lost his mind, but this isn't the song where he loses his mind. <laughs> so here's a, here's a little bit of Creeping Death. Now, there's that low end that we were missing in Trapped yeah. Under Ice. It's it's so much heavier listening to that sound versus that. There's so many little things about this intro that I love. Um, from the, you know, it starts off with like just pummeling you. Da, 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 bang. It, it, and then it goes into when they repeat the section, they have the those short spurts of harmony, right? With a very short guitar harmonization, which I think is just such a, uh, such a subtle way to just make it more interesting and to add to that build. And then you have that short break and then you have that bass. And then it's just like off, you know, like it's, it's just a lot of very subtle nuances that, work really well together for something that on the surface starts very basic. Mm-hmm. It's almost like being on one of those slingshot roller coasters where like the opening is watching people get into the chairs and getting locked in. And then you slowly start the car and then boom, they just shoot it up so that it can get up that first hill, uh, you know, on yes. those slingshot type rides. And, and it just, from there, it does not let you go at all. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I love it. I, I love a good Egyptian story. I'm I'm a fan of uh, like uh, Egyptian lore and that. So so you've already got me drawn in with the story as well. I one of my uh, guests on uh, Metallicas was uh, Jewish, so he said I have to choose Creepy Death as my <laughs> favorite Metallica song. You know, um, but uh, it, it, this is just I mean classic, right? I mean, I. Fruin the Bell Tolls and Creeping Death are the two best live songs, in my opinion, from this record. I mean, dare I say, when you hear this song live, it surpasses the record version. I mean, to have thousands of people screaming, die, die, when you get to that bridge, like there's nothing more cathartic than that. And and this is such a great song that it fits perfectly anywhere in the set list. Um, they I feel like they went a number of they went a while I feel like where they kind of took this out of the set after performing it for so many times and recently it's worked its way back in at a lot of shows which I love seeing and at, at some of the shows it's been near the front of the set. I loved when they I think it was on the low tour they they came on stage. All the house lights were on. They would play So What? And then the 
then it would kick into like full Metallica show and they would start with creeping death. And I just love that intro that this is a great song near the end of the night, but as an opener, it's fantastic. And I don't think it's the most obvious choice as an opener, because you think of kind of like them starting off with a full on like thrash banger. Right. And, uh, but it, it works perfectly and the crowd interaction with it is just fantastic. And, you know, I always, say on my show that if nobody if somebody had never heard of metallica i think master puppets is the perfect uh metallica song to play somebody well i've heard other people say that creeping death is the best song to play for somebody who's never heard metallica and i i'm not willing to argue that i think yeah (laughs) i think this just has i think just is a great summary of you know kind of everything they do really great as a as a metal band yeah it's a fantastic vocal the song's got great movement to it it grips you and never lets you go uh the story is interesting there's a lot of energy coming from every member of the band uh for me i i could see this really closing the album i think the ending of it is really like a concert type ending and it doesn't end the album but it could have uh i had a creeping death three-song EP picture disc at one point that had uh, Am I Evil and Blitzkrieg on the back. And that was the first time I had heard those songs because the deluxe edition of Kill 'Em All hadn't come out yet. And um, those were added to that. But yeah, they were great songs. And I thought, wow, this is some really killer stuff. Any of these could have been on the album. But Creeping Death is, is just, it's a great story. It's great riffs. The mix is really heavy on it. And I have to wonder if I would like Trapped Under Ice better. Well, no, I, I don't think I would, because I was going to say if, if I would like it better if it had the heaviness that this does instead of that all mid-range sound. But it's it's not the music that I don't like. It's the lyrics. Yeah. And, and this, I think, is, you know, for me, really showcases how much weaker Sonic Trapped Under Ice is, because this is the full package. You know, you have you have the the production, the mix, the riff, the the lyric, the vocals, the, the it's just the overall performance is killer. And I, th- I think this is a great example of how um, Metallica can take something simple on paper and kind of over complicate it without it sounding over without it sounding overcomplicated. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of parts to this song. I mean, when you think about yeah. all the transitions from one riff to another to another, right. there's actually a lot going on in this song. But it almost it almost feels like, yeah, somebody wrote, wrote it down on paper and other bands would just come and animate it and they were like, no, yeah. we're making a 3D model of this thing and you know, right, just took yeah. it to another level. They make it just sound... I, you know, one thing I love about Metallica is that when you listen to a song the first time you listen to it, it sounds really straightforward because a lot of the songs will fit like that classic pop song format. Even if it has like an extended solo section, it's still when you break it down, like first chorus, verse chorus, bridge, chorus, you know, whatever. And, um, but when you really break it down, especially like in the solo sections, there is so much going on with the riffs and the drums and all these very subtle changes, whether it's a feel change or um, 
a tempo change or a time signature change or whatever or what have you that it's really way more complicated from a, a songwriting and structure standpoint mm-hmm. than it first appears and i think creeping death is kind of an example of that which is sort of what i meant when i when i was saying it's like you know they overcomplicate something that doesn't sound overcomplicated <laughs> right yeah no you're absolutely I mean, right I think I think too uh this is some of my favorite solo work from Kirk on this album the solo that he does in this song is just amazing. And what is interesting about this song too is uh uh part of the song the I believe it's the memory serving me correctly the die by my hand that section is actually borrowed from uh an exodus song from when kirk hammett was he was the founding member and guitarist and songwriter for exodus before joining metallica and this is actually borrowed from one of those early songs that he wrote and i think was called die by my hand maybe even um i somebody out there will correct me and that's fine (laughs) um but that's how we learn yes but um you know but so it, it has it part of the song has its roots all the way back in his Exodus days before Kill 'Em All was out and before he was in the band. That's interesting. Well, I mean, it's, it's fair. I mean, you look at David Mustaine took um, the four horsemen and, and uh, you know, took that and made his own song, which was basically the four horsemen with different lyrics uh, yeah. and a different title, but uh, mechanics, I think you called it, but I didn't know that this came from that, but I love that part. That has to be one of the best mosh pit parts Oh, yeah. in, in any song I've ever heard. Well, like I said before, you have thousands of people going because the band will they will stop and they will get you going, die, die, die. And you have thousands of people chanting this word to if 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 you're not familiar with Metallica or metal music, you're thinking all these people are crazy, right? Because they're chanting die over and over again as loud and as passionately as they can. And then they come back in, die, bye. and it's just punishing. And it's, but it's so cathartic and so much fun. Well, and, <laughs> to and the wish thing is, they, death upon the Egyptians. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what have they done to us? But I, I, love, right. I love the power of it. And I mean, now they're at the point where they don't even have to ask the crowd to do anything. The crowd just oh, starts no, yeah. doing it. You know, it's just yeah. part of the show now. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's it's a very powerful song from beginning to end. There, this is probably one of the most flawless metal songs I've ever heard. I cannot and will not argue that point. I think this is um, a near perfect song. And, you know, it, it's really one of the strongest tracks in the whole record. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not normally one to say this is my dedicated favorite song from a band, because really, if you ask me what my favorite song is now. And then you ask me in 10 minutes, it's probably going to be something different. But I have to say our final track today is my absolute favorite Metallica song. When I think wow. Metallica, this is the song I immediately want to hear. It, wow. it, it has gotten me through so many difficult times. It feels like it understands what I'm going through, yet it feels like it empowers me at the same time. I know that might sound weird, but that's what I get out of the song and probably why I love it so much. Our last track uh, relates to my favorite fictional monster, or I'll say currently fictional because we haven't proven it doesn't exist yet. (laughs) Yet. And until that happens, it's a possibility. 
<laughs> featured in Pirates of the Caribbean. This is not the song, just the monster, Call of Cthulhu, or depending on where you're from, Call of Cthulhu. Yes. I always say Cthulhu, which I'm probably saying it wrong. Well, you know, there's no H in it. And, there, yeah, those it, are the... it, and it's with a K. So the actual one is C, it has a C and an H, yeah. a TH yeah. in it, and there's no H. So this might be Cthulhu. Yeah, the spelling is different than how it appears by like H.P. Lovecraft um, and how you see it in other places. I, I, I don't know if that was intentional or just like they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we didn't but, have Wikipedia back in 83. Yeah. You know? But but it but it works, you know, and this is one of the earlier um, what amazes me about this song is that this is one of the earlier tracks from a songwriting perspective. This this dates back to when Mustaine was in the band um, and, you know, there's earlier demos of this song when it was called When Hell Freezes Over. Um, and to think that at least the basis of the song was started when these guys were like 18, 19 years old, kind of boggles my mind, um, especially seeing like what they put out in with Kill 'em All. Obviously, this track was not, they felt it was not ready for that album, right? It needed more time. Um, and perhaps Burden and Hammett were the missing parts that it needed to kind of uh, to finish it up. But I, 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 that always amazes me when I think of like how early at least the basis of the song was started. And I always appreciate the balls. This is your second album. It is your, um, you know, first album to be picked up by a major label. How does it end with an eight plus minute instrumental? Yeah. And, and and it's not your traditional, you know, metal instrumental that you might expect. Like you might expect just like, you know, an eight minute thrash metal shred fest again, right? Like I was we were talking about the Kirk Hammett solo debut and but that's but that's not at all what you get. It re, it, it it's like listening to a film score. It tells a story. Yeah, there's a lot of fast playing from Kirk in this one, but this is also some of my favorite solo work of his because it it's within the context of the song. You know, I I always reference that on my Magicians podcast because Mick Mick can play fast. He's very talented. He's he's a very fast guitarist, but he finds a way to do it within the confines of the song, which is like where I said earlier talking about guys like Ian Bay who go, "Okay, this is what would work for the song. Let me take and add 11 notes for every note that I would play normally." You know, and just right. just get as much in as I can. That's why I like listening to Mick Box more. And I feel that Kirk really just nailed the feel of this. He's playing right on that edge of if he played anything more, it would be too much. But he knew right where to stop. Like, here's I'm going to push it to yeah. the edge. And that's exactly where I'm going to let it rest. And he's got a lot of solo work in this song. But the yeah. the depth and the emotion of his solos, it makes me physically move in my chair which I don't normally do. Normally I can just sit there and listen to a song, but like this song physically grips me in a way that I can't think of another song that does. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to this one. I love the fact that there is a bass solo in this song 
and it's not even at the front of the mix you have to like it's like when you when you are focused in on what cliff Burton's playing in this track there is a point where he's just soloing going crazy <laughs> yeah and, and and it's not even the main focus in the mix of the song it's just there well and, there. and he does this really amazing effect track that really just brings out i think another dimension in the song there's just like it it's it's just what like one note that'll just be like out of place but also not out of place at the same time and it just kind of makes you go wait a minute what was that that was really cool. And then when he does it again, yeah. you're like, okay, wait, I want to rewind that and listen to that part again and really hear what he's doing. But it's just like one note that's, that's just there. And it has mm-hmm. such a cool sound to it that it's it's really intriguing. So for I, I'm interested to get your views on this. Uh, for me, for me personally, uh, if I looked at the the you know instrumentals off lightning, puppets, and injustice. Uh, Call of Cthulhu was actually my least favorite really? of the three. Okay, Or Orion being my absolute favorite. I think Orion's just uh, beautiful atmospheric work, and it's just it, it for me. It takes me to another place, especially when I hear the dun 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 dun, dun in that whole middle section. Yeah, Cliff is amazing uh, on that song. But what really made the Call of Cthulhu for me personally was the S&M version with the symphony orchestra. And I and I'm and I'm curious uh if how familiar you are with that version and what your thoughts are compared to the record version. I've heard it a few times and I have to say it's amazing. I mean the the orchestra added so much to it because the orchestra could have just come in and played the rhythm and thickened up the song, but they really arranged something I think special for the orchestra to kind of make them their own section instead of just adding to the band. I hate when they do that. You know, I think that was one big thing when Metallica was working with the orchestra was that they really wanted to make them another instrument to to play along with instead of just, you know, replicating right. what they had already done. So I, kudos on that. Uh, I think that is the most controlled live version I've seen from Lars and this is what I was getting to with him losing his mind, because whenever I see yeah. him play this live, he just kind of seems to forget that the band is there or that they're playing a song. <laughs> and he just kind of does whatever. Like he's hitting crash cymbals and snares in places that just they just don't go. And he just kind of <laughs> lose. And I love that. I, I absolutely love it because it's just a complete mystery what he's going to do in that song. Um, I think for me, because the album version connects with me to the level that it does, I think that remains my favorite, but I will say the orchestra version is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I cannot argue with anything that you just said either. I, I, I love the studio version. I always, I, I going back to what you said before, I would actually, I would, it's funny when I, I appreciate it now more as an adult with more sophisticated ears. Um, but when I first heard this album, when I was in middle school, I kind of thought like the album ended with such a whimper. And I think if you had the call of Cthulhu and then creeping death, like you were saying, ending the album with that, that would have had a bigger impact on me. And I maybe would have appreciated call of Cthulhu a little bit more leading into like that final 
track it, it kind of like what master puppets and injustice for all does right you have orion right. mm-hmm. and that goes right into damage inc it's like perfection in my eyes in my ears um but uh but yeah now going back with more sophisticated listening skills and stuff i i have a new appreciation for the call of cthulhu but that SM version i think um when that came out when i was later in middle school um i appreciated i i started appreciating the track a lot more i think because that made me want to go back and revisit the original uh on ride the lightning well and a lot of times too you know you might like a song but it just at the moment you hear it because of whatever mood you're in or maybe your mind is on something else or it just doesn't grip you in that moment a lot of times you'll go back and listen to a song or an album later and go you know what this is actually really good and like yeah. when I, if I hear something and I don't particularly care for it, I try not to write it off. You know, I think, well, yeah. maybe it was my mood or maybe it just wasn't, I'm just not into that right now, or I'd rather be doing something else. So I'm not giving it full attention or whatever. And I try to maybe a couple years later, remember to go back and give it another chance because tastes change, times change, whatever mood you're in is going to be different. Uh, so I, I can appreciate that you know, you liked it more a little bit later. I'll I'll make a side note about Orion. I love that song. As, as a drummer, even though it's so simple, it's just a fun groove to play. And I yeah. would I used to listen to that when I would walk to work and I would listen to Orion and then I would listen to the intro to Damage Inc. because that is one of my favorite things I've ever heard Cliff do. I love that oh, yeah. opening. Uh, full volume and then slowly bringing the volume down so <laughs> you know it counterbalances what he's doing. <laughs> But uh, and then I would just stop that and then go back and listen to Orion again. And then, you know, until I got to work, that's what I used to do with my little cassette Walkman um, because I'm old. And um, (laughs) yeah, I I have great appreciation for 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 that as well. This one, like I said, it just there's just something about this that grips me in a way like his Kirk's solos on these, especially the part where all of a sudden it just gets gritty for a few notes that. It's like, where did that come from? How did he add that distortion just to that that little bit? And then it goes back to the regular distortion. There's just something that really pulls me in with this song that is really unlike anything else. And honestly, that was from the very first time I heard it. And, and I always have that connection to the song. I've never once listened to this song and not felt that. So for me, I, it's hard to have something else be written and, and come in and top that kind of power. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a, a side note at you because okay. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this song once you listen to it. I I do not think personally this is a very great song, okay. But I'm going to mention it to you. Um, for it'll be obvious why in a moment. So uh, in the late '90s, Megadeth came out with a, an album called "The World Needs a Hero." The last song of the album is called "When." And the whole song is basically uh, the clean part on from the Call of Cthulhu. And then the chorus is basically, am I evil? <laughs> okay, so we're having uh, chocolate and then meatloaf and then chocolate again. <laughs> That's a weird yeah. combination. Of I, again, I do not think it's a very good song. I like Megadeth. I don't think it's a very good song. But I think as somebody who likes to call Cthulhu and Am I Evil, it's an interesting listen. Because, I mean, Mustaine, like I said, he co-wrote the Call of Cthulhu, so he kind of rips himself off, right? It's like a, like almost the same. It, I, I don't know. I don't re- I'm like trying to remember the Megadeth song 
even though I haven't listened to it in years, but I believe it's like the same chord progression. I believe it's pretty much the same as the, you know, the, the beginning of it. And then it go, and then the melody of the chorus is basically, am I evil? Which, which to the point where I feel like, I don't think diamond head gets like a writing credit on the track, but like he has said in interviews, like he asked them permission to pay like homage to them, you know? Okay. So, well, at least so it, is, it, right. it, it is like a purposeful thing. Um, I'm going to be curious to see how he transitions that. Yeah, I wish I, I see. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the song now, too. I'm throwing I'm throwing like something at you that I myself have not listened to in years. <laughs> well, that's fair. I, I want, I'm going to have to see if I can find the versions of Hell, Hell froze, fro- Freezes Over, too. I think yeah. if they, they could have put that as the opening track to side two and then done Trapped Under Ice if they wanted to be ridiculously cliche (laughs) (laughs) you know well let's let's i'm gonna what i'm gonna do because you know we've been playing the beginnings to all the songs in metallica especially on this album tends to have these long intros i'm gonna play a little bit into the song because i think that's where the magic really really is for me yeah yeah that's creeping death that's not gonna help anybody right now I love how heavy it sounds. And again, it's like that chunkiness without being chunky. But I'm yeah. also hearing a slight touch of flange in parts of that too. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that. It's it's such a great song though. Um, I'm trying to remember where the solos are at. I think they're a little bit earlier than that. Let me see if I can find them. There's just some some amazing solo work from Kirk in there. And also, I want to yeah. point out, not just his playing, but I love the sound of his guitar. Sometimes when yeah. you're playing on because he plays a lot of higher notes on his solos, and sometimes when you're playing those, those can just pierce your ear a little bit. But it's just the sound he's getting is fantastic. And he could have played any note on that guitar, and I think I would like it. Yeah. I, again, it goes back, you know, to kind of bring it full circle. There's that control, you know, and it's just... I think that's the my biggest takeaway from this album is that it has a new level of control and focus that they did not have on Kill 'Em All yet um, because of their youth, because of their you know innocence, ignorance, however you want to word it. And now they're taking their experience, their tools that they have in their tool chest, and branching out and pushing you know the the subgenre of thrash metal forward in a lot of ways having a classical music introduction having a more ballady song having an eight minute instrumental uh to close the record um having more mid-tempo stuff you know it it sounds simple in retrospect but when this album came out in 1984 
thrash metal heads were freaking out, you know? And, um, and, and like I said, again, I think this album really set the foundation for more so than kill them all. Kill them all introduced the world to Metallica where ride the lightning introduced that classic Metallica sound that would appear on every Metallica album that followed, even when they went in different directions, like on the black album load reload but when you look at those records too even those are a continuation of what they started on ride the lightning being called sellouts trying new things being called sellouts with the black album releasing nothing else matters being called sellouts on load and reload because they cut their hair and experimented with like blues and more like kind of straightforward hard rock type stuff you know it, it to me that this album ride the lightning sets forward everything else that followed in their career musically. Well, and for anyone who wants to complain about nothing else matters when Elton John goes on uh, national television and tells yeah. James Hetfield, that's one of the best songs ever written. Um, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and argue with Sir Elton John and you will walk away feeling like a fool. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I honestly, like I I've tried to put myself in, in James Hetfield's chair thinking about like, what would that be like if Hans Zimmer ever said to me, that's the greatest piece of film yeah. music I ever heard or something, something that I wrote. Uh, yeah. I, I can't even, I can't even fathom what that must have felt like. I, that is the greatest compliment from one of the most successful and greatest songwriters of all time. And his reaction, you know, like again, showing your vulnerable side, right. Getting choked up on air and just, I don't know if you saw the, video of it at all i did yeah Um, but yeah he's like you know wiping tears away but i'm like yeah you just had a legend like you said one of the greatest songwriters that we know from the last you know 50 years 60 years however what year are we in right now yeah (laughs) uh... (laughs) i mean the only thing that would really beat that would be like john lennon coming back from the dead to tell you that you're a great songwriter i mean that's right yeah just like yeah but i i honestly like i would have needed a bucket for my tears had that been me because it just would not have stopped you know i'd still be crying months later yeah um and the word and and the most amazing part of that is that he almost didn't share it with the band because he didn't think it was good enough for hard enough to be a Metallica song. He's like, this is, you know, yeah. it's just too weak. And, and Lars, Lars again was the one that yeah. was like, no, you've got to, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think Lars deserves just as much credit for, for making it happen. But I mean, that's totally. the thing that, that these guys have gone through a lot of experimentation. They've tried a lot of things, but when you look at what was going on with them outside of the music, the, the drug addiction, the alcohol addiction, the cliff's death, uh, dealing with, you know, trying to integrate Jason into the band and all of that stuff when they weren't really ready to have somebody else take yeah. Cliff's spot. You know, um, so yeah. many things that they've had up and down, ups and downs with, the, the fact that they were even continuing to make music at all is pretty amazing. I haven't enjoyed everything that they've done since then, but I can have great appreciation for the fact that they still did it. Yeah. You know? And... You know, I, I, they're my favorite band of all time. I appreciate each album because I can take it as its own thing. I can listen to a record and not compare it to Master Puppets or Ride the Lightning or the Black Album or anything else that came before. I can, I'm, I'm able to kind of take it as its own thing. And I think once you do that, you can appreciate it more. And I'm not, and, and I'm saying that it's, 
I mean, I even comparing to their old records, I like the new stuff too. But you know, it, it's um, I think you gotta just approach different things with an open mind, and you know, and and an album like um, Saint Anger, an album like Lulu, the Lou Reed one. Obviously, they get crapped on all the time. I get it. I get the criticisms, but those are not albums that are intended to listen to one time and be done with. You know, we talked about before, like having to go back for uh, repeated listens sometimes. And if if you do not have the patience or tolerance for that, I respect that. I get that. Not everybody does. And some people are like, if it does not hit me right away, I'm moving on to the next thing. I get it. I completely get it. I'm like that with other things besides music, you know, but music sometimes if something's interesting enough, I even if I'm not sure if I like it, if it's interesting enough, I'll go back and dig a little bit deeper into it, you know, and see and see what ends up sticking. And you know, those albums also not my two favorite Metallica albums. You know, I, I did not list Saint Anger as my top three, but I like that album, and I really appreciate it for what it is. And Lulu, I can appreciate for its own thing too, you know. So it's just about. If if all those metalheads back in 1984 went into Ride the Lightning with an open head, you know what? You would have appreciated Fate to Black like we all do now. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's absolutely right, and that's why I was thinking too. Like I was wondering what people who had who had been through the Kill 'Em All experience when it was released, and then heard Ride the Lightning for the first time, and they hear that opening of Fight Fire with Fire. Like, who the hell is this? First of all, this sounds way too clean to be a metal band. You know, it's supposed to be right, raw yeah. and, and, you know, unkempt yeah. and whatever. Uh, but but that's the thing. Like, that's that was the whole point of me doing the Magicians podcast the way I did it was that I didn't want to say, you know, let's compare this song to this other album. It was really let's just listen to each song and take that song for what it is. You know, it doesn't have to be better or worse than Easy Living. It doesn't have to be, you know, more enjoyable than Lady in Black. It's just let's enjoy this song and everything about it. And, you know, because Uriah Heep went through so many periods like Metallica, they sounded one way in the early 70s. They sounded a different mm-hmm. way in the mid 70s. Come the 80s, it was very 80s. Now they have this huge, heavy sound to them. Um, I would say that they they could rival Metallica's sound very easily right now. Uh, they're just heavy, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many things that a band goes through, but you're talking completely different generations of music during that time punk disco new wave you know all those things that are going to have influence on those bands metallica came in you know while the new wave british invasion was happening so for them to even find some some space to carve and say hey we're also going to do something kind of new check it out was a pretty amazing feat of it of itself and of course they're going to try different things they're going to transition if every album was ride the lightning i would have lost interest years ago yeah it must and most any artist that's been around for any amount of time, it's the same thing, right? Like it, you know, uh, except for ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> ACDC and the Rolling Stones have pretty much yeah. exactly what yeah. they were. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta branch out. And that's one of the things I like about Metallica. I know whenever the next Metallica comes out, I know it's going to sound enough like Metallica where I feel comfortable because they're my favorite band. But at the same time, I have no clue what to expect and what it's going to sound like. And I like that about them. You know, they they have their sounds like Hetfield is going to sound like Hetfield, 
Lars is going to sound like Lars. Kirk will sound like Kirk, you know, but I have no clue what they're going to be doing. Are they going to be doing like a country Western song like they did on load? Are they going to be doing, um, you know, a 10 minute avant-garde song with like they did with Lulu. Are they going to have, you know, no solos and the brash production of St. Anger, or is it going to be, you know, master puppets part two i have or something completely different i have no clue so that that's what's exciting i think that's what makes you know uh music and artists who um have been around for so i think that's what makes it exciting and uh for anybody and you know what i've talked a lot about you know they get flack for this they get flack for that at the end of the day though people must like it because they're still the biggest metal band in the world they're still selling out stadiums. Their, you know, last two albums still debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, and you know, people people are still buying what they are selling. So, uh, well, historically, you, aren't they one of the like all time top selling bands? They've yeah, got to be yeah. up there. Yeah, they they. Uh, I mean, they've sold. I, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but they've sold over a hundred million albums. The Black Album is. You know, one of the best-selling albums of all time. It's it's the best-selling album of the SoundScan era. So how we, which I think came out in the early '90s. So basically, when that album came out, it has not it has not stopped being the top seller. Um, and and that's of any artist, any genre of music. So wow. I would have thought I Master mean, Puppets would have been their top selling, but I think. Uh, the Black Album is probably more relatable to a wider audience. The Black Album sells like three to four thousand copies a week still. Jeez, and that came they, out. So we're talking thirty-two years, and it's still selling. Yeah. Like that's a, that's absolutely amazing. When Hardwired to Self Destruct, their last studio came out in two thousand sixteen. Mm-hmm. When that came out, I remember seeing the iTunes rock charts hardwired was number one number two was the black album wow (laughs) and just knocking themselves out that's great and and the rest and the rest of the top 10 was like newer releases Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like it's 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 the the album has no end in sight like i have two kids i guess they'll be buying the black album because that seems to be you know right you ask yourself like who's buying this i guess you know you buy another copy you lost your cd you lost your cassette whatever it is you you buy digitally now whatever you rebuy it and Mm -hmm. the new generation buys and before you know it, it's like you know three thousand copies a week well and to think that metallica's black album has outsold the beatles white album really it keeps the the spectrum completely unbalanced (laughs) um jason newstead was asked in an interview and basically i forget exactly how he said it but he basically said if he did nothing but the black album he would be fine oh like he's he's able to just live off the royalties of the black album if he wanted to which when you think about that is truly amazing (laughs) and that that would have been what his third project second full album but third project right because his first was the ep garage Garage Days. days yeah yeah which i thought he was great on yeah yeah i mean and talk about what a situation to walk into you know but i i I love jason newstead i miss him a lot of times especially in a live setting 
But I, I think I think it was one of those things where like I think he needed to leave so the band could continue. I don't think there was a way to move forward with him in the band, unfortunately. And I love Rob Trujillo. I and and Rob and this is not a knock against Jason, but Rob Trujillo um, as a bass player ha- has like a style of playing that I prefer. He's, it, it's back to kind of what Cliff Burden was doing with like the finger picking and stuff like that. Um, and you know, uh, I never was. Uh, played with a pick so like jason deuce it was always like a little like oh it's really cool but like I, I i just i had a harder time relating to his style of playing mm-hmm. yeah i i love that three finger strumming that robert trujillo does it's it's just so amazing oh, yeah. to watch yeah. somebody play with that way yeah uh, i think he's a fantastic player uh i i watched some of the auditions that they did and i'm like I, it it takes stones to audition for metallica you know, yeah. really to walk into that room and say, I'm good enough to play with you guys, that takes some stones. And you know what's funny? In the Some Kind of Monster documentary, they show snippets of the auditions. And from what they show, I mean, obviously it's edited, but from what they show, he's like, he's way beyond like where the others were. And these are obviously really skilled, well known people. You know, they're not just bringing in me (laughs) or me yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. well i think though less less playpool was probably about the funniest one that they could have auditioned because he's just not that genre i mean he's a very talented bass player but what he does is so i don't think his his style would have fit in at all with what metallica does and i don't think he he could be anybody but less claypool yeah no one of my dream guests for metallica is less claypool just because i feel like He's such a unique character and very smart and insightful. And to just hear, um, you know, his audition process firsthand and to, um, and, you know, just about his own Metallica fandom and, and, you know, he collaborated with, uh, Hatfield's made a cameo on like a Primus album back in the late nineties, early two thousand. So I'd just be fascinated to hear about all that stuff, you know? Probably got more fishing stories than anything else, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Les, if you're listening, this That's is an right. open invitation. We, we've now invited Lars and Les. We can come on together, you know. Well, and, and, and to be fair to everybody, I mean, I would be happy to interview anyone in, in Metallica. You know, I, I don't want to limit it to Lars. I, I'm a drummer, so I'm probably more connected to Lars, but I, yeah. I, I would certainly happily talk to anybody in the band. So if you are the publicist of Metallica, <laughs> uh, you know, let's let's connect. Oh, yeah, man. it's a it's a very difficult uh uh organization to uh crack into. Well you gotta figure, <laughs> I mean the, the demands for a band like that are probably absolutely humongous. So I, I imagine they get yeah. thousands of inquiries a, on a daily basis, well, you know. In this day and age too, uh, they seem to be more selective with um, you know, who they accept. So you figure if their options are, you know. The Tonight Show, Howard Stern, or Metallicast. Guess guess the two they're choosing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Metallicast. Well, well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and some some just get tired of interviews and some just like, yeah. you know, my my time at this point, like I've put in my time and we've done millions of interviews over the years. Now yeah. I'm kind of at a point where I don't really need the promo. So yeah. I'd rather do this. Like I'd rather play with my kids or or whatever. And I don't, I, yeah. I mean, I would love to talk to them, but I certainly can't say, you know, you're being jerks because you don't want to talk to anybody anymore. I, mean, I totally respect yeah. and appreciate where they're at. 
Uh, if I was famous, I'd probably feel the same way. Yeah, I would just want everybody to. Leave. I want everybody to leave me alone now. Most of the time, never <laughs> yeah, mind. Yeah. That's why I have an outgoing <laughs> podcast instead of an incoming one. <laughs> yeah, know? that's right. <laughs> well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me for our seventy-two part uh, review of, of Metallica's "Ride the Lightning." Is, I, is this is this still going to be two parts? Oh now? God, no! This is probably going to be three or, or maybe four. Uh, but I, I've enjoyed talking to you about this so much. I'm I'm glad we could really dig into this. I actually learned quite a bit. I didn't know that uh Kala Cthulhu, for for example had had been part of the Mustaine era i never knew that so it's uh, it's good and i'm going to check out that megadeth song i'll let you know what i think it's going to be interesting to see uh how how that all ties in and you know any mistakes that i made you can let me know let me know yeah let Hit him me know. up on social media <laughs> I'll take all the blame for all the false information in this uh, in this podcast. But, you know, huge thank you to you for letting me come on. Um, this is the it's funny. This is the third time we've collaborated, but the second time we've done it together. That's right. You were kind. You were kind enough to do a Metallica episode. I took like a mini uh, paternity leave from my own podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did. I had guest hosts come on for a, a My Friends of Misery um, like mini season, and, and you were kind enough to contribute to that. So thank you for that. Oh, I was and, I was very um, honored to be asked. That was a lot of fun. Thanks. And so it's it's wonderful to uh, be back talking to you. Uh, I was going to say in person, but this is as person as you know we can get. <laughs> this is more so. than I talk to people locally. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's great. I, I love your passion for the band. I love your insight. I mean, I, I I'm a big fan of Metallica. I've spent a lot of years being, you know, very familiar with their music. I played a lot of it as a drummer. Um, I've tried to play some of it as a bass player, and I that's way out of my league at this point. Uh, I'm still working on like Mary Had a Little Lamb, <laughs> <laughs> which which they have not covered. Uh, yeah. but, uh, yeah, no, I, I really, I always enjoy talking to you. We have some great conversations and, and your insight is appreciated and you're, you know, you're welcome back on the show anytime. So keep in touch and, uh, we'll, uh, I'll have all the links for reaching Brandon and correcting him in the show notes, but check out Metallicast <laughs> guys. He's got a lot of, you got, uh, what, do you know how many episodes you're at at this point? No, because I, I, I I've done weird things because I, I I number the regular episodes, but then I've done like you know, like I did um, in summer for all one summer, which was like all, uh, which was my um, injustice for all breakdown, but that was like a special like thing, and then I did you know something similar for the black album, and then I've done like various live streams, so I I must have done over a hundred episodes. I uh, the next numbered episode will be number ninety, so I'm getting close to number one hundred numbered. But I've already done over a hundred. <laughs> and, and let me tell you guys, it is hard doing this by yourself. Like we we have friends that are you know have like co-hosts, yeah. a regular co-host on their show, and sometimes I just feel like I need to find a thesaurus and find some new adjectives because I feel like I describe my passion <laughs> for things very similarly similarly Same. from one to another. Uh, but it is it is very difficult sometimes uh, being your own host. You're responsible for everything, the making the episode happen, the editing, the uploading, the promotion, yeah. all that stuff falls on you. And it yeah. can be a little bit daunting sometimes. But the reason we do it is because we're passionate about what we do. Otherwise, why the hell would we do it? Absolutely. You know, I've had um, 
guests on from like the early days of Metallica who knew the band, who've partied with the band, who've been to the early shows, who worked with the band, etc. Um, and and multiple of them, you know, started um, the fanzines, you know, from uh, the fanzines um, from you know those early eighties that the, all those you know that that spread the word of all these local and young and up and coming metal bands, and they're like, you know, this what you doing the podcast is very similar, but this is like the modern way of you know paying tribute to the music and the in the band that you're passionate about you know yeah and and could and and because a big part of my podcast is yeah i've had you know those type of guests on i've had you know um musicians on and some well-known some lesser known whatever but of the bulk of the episodes are me communicating with other fans right and being because you know it's um that was my main goal starting this was just to become a small part of a large community and be able to meet other fans and have who think like me who or don't think like me but have similar passions that you know and just start those conversations that to me is the fun part of doing the podcast yeah and and it you know it's it's great to share your thoughts and feelings and sometimes you know you you will meet people that that share similar things or maybe they started thinking along a different way because you shared something with them. And that's what I love too is when people contact me and like, you know, I never heard that part in that song that you were just talking about or yeah, I, I had never heard this song before. Or I, you know, I get a lot of people saying, well, I know you're Raya Heat, but I can't think of any of their songs and they start listening to the podcast and they become fans. So there is a, there is a definite reward of sharing things that you're passionate about. And yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's definitely been a bright spot in the podcast, but guys check out Metallicast. It's fantastic. Links in the show notes, Brandon, thank you so much. Come see us again. We'll, we'll do another show. This is too much fun not to. I appreciate it, Scott. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to next time. Next time, though, we're going for like a full six hours, I think. I think we can do it. <laughs> we'll, we'll do we'll do the deluxe version of Master of Puppets or something. <laughs> yeah. Second by second review. There you go. Take care, my friend. We'll see you soon. Have a great day, guys. Cheers. to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott. Wow, I think I just hit puberty there. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with the second part of me, my, me, my, you know what? I'm just going to do that over. <laughs> that was like the worst I've intro there. I've ever done in my life. <laughs>
It's oh, almost man. as if you've been talking for an hour already. No. <laughs> oh, dear God. All right, let's do this again.